Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. My name is Simon. I'm one of the co-founders of Fundraising Everywhere and Everywhere Plus. In August 2020, we organized the Virtual Global Fundraising Summit for Arts, Cultural and Heritage Professionals. It was curated by Dana Seagal. She is the Deputy Director of the National Arts Fundraising School. And under the name Defining the New Normal, we had 48 special speakers from 17 different countries. And they offered supportive words, case studies, guidance, and advice. You can listen to more of the sessions and watch them at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Use the coupon code FEPODCAST for a special discount just for you. Hello everyone, my name is Dana Kahawa-Siegel. I'm the Deputy Director of the National Arts Fundraising School and the Curator of Arts Summit. We have seen some of the biggest and scariest challenges that we've ever had facing us as fundraisers. And at the National Arts Fundraising School and Fundraising Everywhere, we wanted to find a moment so that we can all meet, we can all reflect, we can all learn, and we can plan for our futures to make sure that as many of our organizations as possible get through this together. Hello everyone, welcome to this very important and very insightful session um, on the future of grant making in a post-COVID world. Um, something that all us fundraisers are um, particularly interested in at the moment, I think, um, and something that's playing on our minds. Uh, one of the things that we've thought about is, you know, sort of when we're trying to think about what's in the minds of grant makers, why not just ask them? Um, so that's what this session is all about. Um, of course, the caveat to that is that none of our wonderful panelists have a crystal ball um, so we are still kind of mid-pandemic um, with some of us me, myself included in Wales still in uh, semi-lockdown so kind of taking all that into account as to where we are at the moment. Um, so just to introduce myself my name is Emma Goad I have been a fundraiser for about 15 years now um, six years ago I set up my own consultancy business Blue Canary based in Cardiff uh, in Wales and um, last year I was lucky enough to also join MC Consulting as a uh, partner consultant and as a program leader for NAFS um, so I'm delighted to be uh, chairing this wonderful session with our fabulous panelists. I'm going to ask them all to introduce themselves in a little bit, um, but um, uh, but thank you all so much for joining us today, Alison, Fozia and Manaka. It's great to see you all and thank you for the time um, to speak to us. Um, so we'll just go round and if you could just um, tell us a bit about yourself, about your organisation and also a bit about the uh, to use the word normal, which I hate, but what normal uh, grant making um, looks for your organisation to give our viewers and our delegates a, a bit of context of, of where you're currently working. Fosia, just because you're at the top right of my screen, do you want to kick us off? Yes, sure. Uh, so my name is Fosia uh, Irfan and I manage a community foundation uh, in the UK um, and we uh, grant up to about five million uh, a year uh, but the majority of our grants are small grants up to 10,000 um, so we work directly with grassroots organisations um, and we pride ourselves on knowing our, lo our locality really well, our charities really well, our communities really well. But I also do work with a lot of national funders. I'm on the board of the Association of Charitable Funders uh, Foundations, uh, which is a, a membership organisation of all the foundations in the UK. Uh, and I do a lot of work with National Lottery and Children in Need. So I have that 
sort of national perspective as well about what's going on in the sector. That's brilliant. Thank you, Fazia. Uh, Manaka, uh, you're up next. Okay, great. I'm Menika Rodriguez. I work with uh, India Foundation for the Arts. We are an independent grant-making foundation based in India, and our mandate is to support art and culture in India specifically, so that's where our focus is. Uh, we are a small grant maker, so our grants are anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 US dollars. Um, given the context, I mean, we are a private foundation, so we don't receive funds uh, consciously as well from the government. We're not a government agency. We're not affiliated with any corporate uh, institutions, so we need to raise our funds year on year. Um, also, uh, given the context in India, there's already very limited funding for the arts uh, from the government, from corporate support. So then um, the role that IFA plays becomes really critical in bridging that gap for funding in the country. Uh, uh, it's unfortunate to say that we are one of the only uh, foundations in the country that actually supports multidisciplinary work. So if there are artists, practitioners, scholars looking to do experimental work, push boundaries, um, you know, look at marginalized voices, then IFA is the space that we uh, that they would reach out to. And we support work in education, practice, um, research. Uh, we work with archives and museums, and we also do a bit of uh, capacity building. Gosh, it's incredible to think that you're the only foundation uh, focusing on multidiscipline arts. And um, that's amazing. You must be incredibly busy all of the time. And yeah. such a broad um, uh, portfolio as well of art forms and, you know, and, and approaches. Brilliant. Absolutely. Well, we'll find out more about your work as we go through the session. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Alison <laughs> from Esme Fairburn. Thanks, yes. Uh, I'm uh, Alison Holdham. I'm one of the grant managers and I lead on our Arts and Heritage funding. Um, Esme Fairbairn Foundation is an independent foundation also. Uh, our aim is to improve the quality of life for people and communities in the UK now and in the future. We work in social change, environment, education, uh, children, young people and arts as well. So we in 2018, our total spend in all four areas was about 40 million. Uh, in the arts, it was 8.6 million, which was about 62 grants. Um, we do social investment as well, which is included in that figure. Um, so we are, are funding, we can fund unrestricted and core costs, which we do a lot of. So there's a lot of funding for um, the infrastructure and organisations across the UK, um, but we are focused particularly on uh, arts with a social impact and community engagement and also on talent development and on breaking down barriers to engagement with a career in the arts. That's brilliant. Thank you, Alison. It's great to get a real diversity of, of scale with the with the three of you and sort of working, um, you know, nationally across different countries, but also very specifically in your particular region, Fosia, and, and at different scales between uh, Manaka and, and Alison. We'll get some really interesting viewpoints, I think, as we go through the session. Um, so without further ado and kind of wanting to kick us on a bit, um, um, just uh, a first question, Fozio, I'm going to come to you first, if that's okay. Um, I think I think as 
fundraisers would all agree that Trust and Foundations, uh, many of you have responded incredibly to the COVID situation, incredibly quickly, um, responding with approaches that absolutely go to the heart of supporting your grantees um, and absolutely linked to your priorities as foundations. Um, each of you and each of the foundations um, across the world have um, not only responded incredibly well, but responded differently as well. Um, so what changes have, has your organisation made in response to COVID with processes and behaviours? Um, and um, also, more importantly than that, how did you decide that that was the best approach? What led you to, to the way that you, um, that you altered your, um, your processes? Well, I think for us, um, our approach was really based on uh, the need for speed, the urgency of the situation. Uh, time was of the essence, uh, and so our whole approach was framed around how quickly can we get uh, the money out, our processes uh, and our strategy was all been built around that imperative. Um, because we fund uh, a lots of grassroots organisations um, who were in very difficult financial situations, but uh, in, in terms of their income stream had suddenly just disappeared. Mm -hmm. But ironically, the demand for their services uh, had shot through the roof. Um, those were the organisations that we really felt that we needed to support. Mm. Um, what we did was um, something quite innovative in that we spoke to all the trusts and foundations in our locality in Bedfordshire and agreed with them that we would set up one application form and one emergency fund across the county. So, and, and the reason for this is we didn't want charities to be applying to seven or eight different foundations, different application forms and wasting their time. Um, there was a lot of goodwill from other trust funds and foundations and we collaborated. We set up one application form, one fund, which we all pitched into. Um, and that sort of approach, I think, I hope, really benefited uh, those charities and those community groups. But it was all framed around, let's get this money out as quickly as possible. So our decision-making process was um, speeded up. We, we had a process which allowed uh, us to have an application in one week, and the same day, the next week, we would be able to send the funding out. So it was, it was a very fast turnaround for us. Um, so, so we had a to the way that you would normally work that turnaround. <laughs> no, I mean, like most chart <laughs> makers, we take we take months to decide. <laughs> but it just shows you what can happen. In absolutely, absolutely. That's um, what's the interesting thing, I think, isn't it? That that this whole this um, this crisis has made us that red tape has gone, and some of the the processes that we go through to get that money out, as as you were saying, Fuzzy, it's so urgently um, to those most in need is really imperative. Sorry, do do carry yes. on. Yeah, no, I, I was saying that uh, I think for us speed was of the essence but it did mean uh, and this is one thing that I haven't quite worked out how to do is that we lost community voice in the decision making process uh -huh. so we had compromise on that uh, the way community foundations work and our foundation works is that all decisions are made by community so yeah. I don't make funding decisions grants managers don't make funding decisions trustees don't make funding decisions we have a panel process and community representatives make the decision. Mm -hmm. uh, so unfortunately, because of, of the imperative in terms of speed, we had to lose that element. And it was it was sort of grants managers quickly just making a decision. Yeah. Um, and I have, uh, and, and you know, in, in hindsight, it would have been good to be able to marry the two 
uh, the two imperatives. Um, yeah. But at that particular time, uh, we were focused on, on just getting the money out. Absolutely. I think if we had the beauty of hindsight at the time, <laughs> then, then things would have been different. But, uh, you know, as you say, kind of the, the, the need to get that money out and respond to the situation so quickly, then, then needs that change of approach, doesn't it? And, um, and that's great. Um, well, we'll come on to kind of thinking about what um what your experience during that process and over the last four months um will mean for the future a bit later on and i'm sure kind of all our delegates are keen to get on to that bit, so we'll we'll leave enough time for that um uh welcome back alison and um, manaka uh on uh, same question for you sort of how did you develop your um uh, your approaches and and what made you realize that that was the right way forward right so, uh, you know, India went into lockdown from March 24th and we went into almost a three month lockdown. Um, so at any given year, we have about 8,200 grants that are uh, active mm -hmm. and about 8,200 grantees and about 90% of our, 90 to 95% of our grantees are individual artists, not uh, organizations. Oh, wow. so one of Priorities because you know March is year end for us was also to ensure that you know grantees got their last installments that were due mm -hmm. or installments that were due before March. So it was a bit of a challenge for the team to work in lockdown to get to banks to get signatories and trustees to sign. Uh, so that was a bit of a challenge. But what we did was we reached out to you know all our grantees, current and past. Did a check in with them, asked them how they were doing, um, you know, what their needs were. I mean, our resources are limited, so we don't have the capacity to uh, support emergency kind of funds or, uh, you know, small grants like that because our grants are very process driven um, uh, and our, our, our funds are also limited. Uh, we also, uh, you know, uh, Typically, we give extensions that are about six months from the grant end period or half the grant time. So we checked in with grantees and we, you know, we were a bit flexible about giving them extensions. So if something was due in April or there was a exhibition due in April or May, which we knew was not going to happen. So those were some of the changes that we did. Also, um, in terms of, uh, you know, shifts uh, in terms of ap receiving applications as well, you know, our institution, I think, for whatever reasons, is very particular about getting applications in the hard copy. So mm -hmm. I think that has been an important shift to, uh, you know, move everything online and to be able to accept online applications for grants was also um, something that we worked with. And also just checking in. I mean, there were some um, that were grant related delays that would happen, but some delays and concerns from artists because, you know, a family member has COVID. And hence, they can't send their final report. Or, um, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, grantees at risk of losing their apartment and hence can't work on something. So, you know, to be able, I think you were saying what drove us. I think um, one of the things that we value at our foundation is empathy mm -hmm. and being responsive to the field. And I think that's something we hold very dear. And um, that's something that kind of influenced our decisions on how we would navigate this very unprecedented times. Mm, absolutely. And I think to have that empathy, as you talk about so wonderfully, you need to have that real understanding of the of the sector and the, and the individuals that you're working with as well, don't you? And I think one of the okay. things that um, always strikes me um, with trust and foundations is actually, you know, sort of we're, we're all in it together. We're all part of the same 
thing. We're all aiming to reach the same goals. And um, there's no them and us. There's no kind of you know wall between us. And actually, it's really important to remember that that you as grant makers have that empathy, that you have that understanding of what artists are, are going through and what arts organisations are having to deal with, whether we're in a pandemic or not. But having a really clear understanding of of that is is really important. Um, would you agree with that kind of? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, like uh, Fazia was saying, a lot of what we do, we do in response to the field. We do external evaluations. We create our programs with consultation with the field. So mm. that is very, very, very critical at all times, you know, because yeah. you have to be, and, you know, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, later in the session yeah. when we talk about new, new normal will be. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant, fabulous. Thank you for that, Alison. Over to you. Sort of what led you to to the approaches that that Fairburn um, made? Um, we kind of we did three steps really. The first one was just to, to start by being completely flexible with our current portfolio of grantees um, and just remove the requirements that we would have put on the grant. We made everything that every grant that was currently out there unrestricted so that if it had been originally for a project, it became unrestricted just to keep the organisation secure. Um, and we moved payments around and things like that. And I think that was just to sort of, that was the first response, as you say, I think, uh, as Fazio said, just a quick response just to say to our portfolio, you're, you know, don't, you don't need to get in touch with us, you don't need to write to us, just use it for what you need. Um, and the second step was that trustees approved um, a, a £16 million uh, additional fund. Um, £14 million of that went to our current portfolio in basically grants that were six months of their, uh, their annual amount of funding. Um, and it went to about 540 of our portfolio across everything. That's not just the arts. Mm -hmm. um, and that was without an application. It was just a letter saying this money is available um just let us know you know if you want it and that nothing has changed about your organization in terms of basic things that we'd need to know um and then the final thing we did is we had some applications in train but we've actually closed to applications because we were in the middle of launching a new strategy we were about to launch a new strategy in may we were going to close in april prior to launching when all this happened and in fact we couldn't launch in that strategy in May. I mean, it would have been utterly inappropriate to do that. So that's now been put on hold till October. Um, so it does mean that we're closed for six months, which probably, you know, is difficult. I know is difficult for some people who were anticipating that new launch. I think um, the reasoning behind it really was that we knew we had to do something quickly and we knew we had to do something that didn't mean there was too much work for people out there. Um, so we tried to do something as quickly as possible. It's been a huge learning curve for us. Um, and it's really shown us where some of our processes might not actually be necessary mm. because we so much more quickly um, and everything online, obviously. Um, and uh, I think the other thing was just to think about really has stopped us in our tracks to make us rethink about our strategy and and not just how that because we won't change. I don't think that the main points of the strategy will change, but then, you know, for the next couple of years, we're going to have to rethink all of that. So it's that's been the other kind of part of our behaviour has been to stop and rethink about what we're going to do. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That the kind of it's given us some breathing space to to not only react to the immediate pandemic and the immediacy of, of the need of beneficiaries um, and organisations, but also to reflect on on whether the processes that we're using 
generally are the most appropriate processes moving forward and whether actually some of that is needed and and some of that isn't needed um sort of turning the table slightly um um coming away from foundation and manaka you talked about it a little bit um, but thinking about your um grantees and what responses have you had from from your grantees for um for the changes that you've made and how have they been kind of directly affected by those manaka as you kind of talked about it a little bit do you want to kick us off on that one sure um so um i mean the response has been very positive because the, you know we've been like uh you know allison was saying also flexible with budget changes that might be needed but these are individual grants so they work a little different than you know uh, infrastructural uh, capacity grants uh so the, the the response has been very positive um a lot of the discussions that we're having about changes in outcomes are things that are happening in conversation with program officers. So if someone comes to a program officer and says, oh, I'll do the exhibition in December, we're saying, wait, let's think about this. We don't know what December is going to look like. Maybe we need to shift it to March. So it's a very active conversation. And speaking about you know, uh, uh, what Fozia was saying and what you were saying about uh, one of the immediate things we did was we held something called a listening post two listening posts over a period of a month and a half uh, on Zoom where we invited um, artists and preferably not our grantees to, tell, to just share with IFA what their anxieties were, what their concerns were, and what would they as artists or practitioners want IFA to do? Because mm -hmm. we were, we, we know, you know, we have our program set out. So we saw, we had two sessions with over 100 people participating in this, telling us what their expectations for a foundation like IFA could do. And there were about 38 to 50 recommendations that, you know, we consolidated. <laughs> Given our funds, there was only, a, you know, we can't do, because, you know, everybody wanted a salary grant or, and, and unfortunately in India, we don't have those, you know, it's, it's the role of the Ministry of Culture to do, you know, to, to afford those kind of emergency funds and salary grants, but unfortunately, our system doesn't work that way. So um, while the pressure was high on us to do emergency funding, our resources don't allow us to do that. So uh, listening to the field, I mean, some of the things that came up were people wanted online workshops uh, on how do you run things online? How do you teach online? How do artists and dancers and musicians take their material online? So they were like, could we as IFA serve as a resource to conduct workshops? Could we take some of our projects online? So some of those things we listened to when we're doing that. Uh, one of the, um, so we have done two workshops so far for the field and you know, everybody can access it so on YouTube on how to take material um, online. Uh, the other thing is, you know, one of the, I think the concerns of the field, of course, was financial, you know, immediate financial impact. The concern of the field was also artistic. How do we create work? How, you know, we are artists, we exist. How do we create work? And there was that anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. And what kind of support would would be available to them in the future? Would there be government regulations that would impact them, the market? Those were some things that were concerns that um, came out. And one of the first things we did, and I didn't mention that in the earlier thing, is we put out a epigraph to on our website and to all our calls saying that um, IFA will continue to support grants across all its programs so that the field knew that mm -hmm. the foundation would be, all our programs would be open and we would be accepting calls under all the programs with a caveat saying that we understand modes of engagement have changed modes of thinking have changed so we encourage practitioners to bring new ideas on how they can navigate these times so those were some of the things and 
fairly positive. I mean, of course, it's a difficult situation with lack of assembly for artists. It's a difficult, uh, trying time for some of them. So, yeah, mix. I mean, positive response for IFA, but anxiety in the field, of course. Yeah, but that, but that open relationship is really important, isn't it? That I love the idea of having the, the listening posts and really engaging with people. Um, did I catch you saying that you were talking to practitioners who weren't your grantees? Was that right? That's right. That's yeah. right. So, so, um, so was the thinking behind that to broaden the, the, the viewpoint of people that you were talking to? Right. Exactly. And also, like, what we did is, you know, every program officer made a personal call to each grantee. So mm -hmm. at one level, those conversations were happening. So we felt that we'd like to broaden it to the wider, uh, you know, potential applicants and people who have aspirations for what their aspirations for the foundation would be. Yeah. Right? So to, to, to have both, you know, we had to have a balance of both. That's why right. we did Because yeah. I, I think um, one of the things that I've noticed a lot is that the... the the response of trust and foundations has been very grantee led, obviously, because those are the organizations that you're already supporting. Um, right. At some point, there's a whole load of other organizations and artists out there going, well, what about me? What about me? Um, and quite rightly so. So it's going to be important to sort of bring bring non-current grantees into that mix as well at some point. So that that's really, really interesting to hear how you're already engaging those people in a conversation about how you as an organization organization move forward that's fascinating okay. great okay. thank you for sharing that um, and it's coming to you now because we've talked about sort of um not being able to include the community that you would normally include in your decision making um so just sort of moving on from what Manaka was saying about kind of um uh, engaging grantees in in the thinking um how how have your grantees responded well, uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, I think they've appreciated the fact that, um, you know, my team have just been so committed um, doing, you know, working all hours just to get this funding out. So the, 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 the response has been positive. Um, but, um, you know, throughout that positivity, there is this underlying anxiety. There is mm. this underlying worry. Um, which is really prevalent and which um, which is the, probably the thing that concerns us the most. Uh, a lot of the organisations that we fund are very worried about their survival, or very worried about what's happening uh, in the next phase. Um, so so and, and an important part of our role has been to listen to them because we are a community foundation and we value those relationships. Um, and that's where we get a lot of our expertise from. Um, that's been really pivotal. Um, and there are, and, and this question about new organisations, that's been quite uh, interesting for us as well, because obviously as grant makers, we have um, certain processes, we fund certain types of organisations, certain types of institutions. Um, and what we've seen, uh, particularly at, at a very local level, uh, are in, uh, the increasing number of mutual aid or voluntary sort of informal networks of help, people helping each other. Mm -hmm. um, who are all and these informal networks, um, you know, have just sprung up in no, local neighbourhoods um, to, to really do some vital work, um, delivering food to the elderly, um, you know, food parcels for uh, uh, school children, um, you know, befriending schemes, all of that sort of incredibly important work, but they're not in an institutionalised form, which mm -hmm. is what we find. So that's been a challenge for us, is how do we incorporate these new um, these new methods of uh, voluntary aid 
which don't fit our system. Um, and we uh, and 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 to to their credit, my team have been able to do that with very little paperwork. Um, you know, just some very basic um, uh, procedures put in place to ensure uh, you know risks are, uh, are dealt with, uh, mm. but to fund those new groups as well and to ensure that they have the same access uh, to our funding as well. Brilliant. Sorry to interrupt. This is Simon Scriver again from Fundraising Everywhere. Just wanted to remind you that you can find all of the recordings from this event uh, and all of our other events in video and podcast format at fundraisingeverywhere.com and use the discount code FEPODCAST for a special treat. And Alison, coming to you, I'm sort of uh, wary of time and wanting to get on to this. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, it's been universally uh welcomed um i think what was interesting about the response uh, the to the emergency funding we did the additional grants which uh, we've called fast response grants was that people res res responded that the lack of competition at this point was really helpful to them mm -hmm. that they didn't have to worry about you know is it worth putting this application in will i get you know what's the competition rate and i think that was something that's very interesting um and i think it's it provokes some different types of conversations uh, you know, the, the, between uh, organisations and, and, and us about where they were and what was going on and how that would be used and how it would be supported and uh, how it would support them. So yeah, it has, I think, slightly shifted um, the relationships. Hmm. Which is really, and that's great, isn't it? Because sort of um, organisations feeling that actually they, they can pick up the phone and they can have a conversation. Um, and I have conversations with organisations I work with all the time who are saying, well, I don't really know how Trust and Foundations work. And I'm going, well, talk to them. You know, <laughs> they're people, you know, sort of if if they're, if organ if Trust and Foundations are welcoming phone calls or email contacts or something uh, to get a deeper insight into the way that you're making decisions and responding to situations and um, then that's that's the best way so I think you know sort of one of the positives that have come out of, of of this crisis is about the developing relationships and as we talked about a lot the that that mutual understanding of what we're all trying to do together is really really important um, so, so thinking a little bit um, about the future, and as we as we've touched on, arts organisations and individual artistic practitioners um, are facing new challenges um, every day and having to deal with new approaches that six months ago they just wouldn't have been thinking about, whether that's connected to cancelled programmes of work or just a radical rethink of the way that arts organizations are operating or individual practitioners are able to create their work um what do you see as the kind of the the immediate next phase of the of trust and foundation's role um not just with the ongoing response to covid so sort of coming out of that emergency quick response um and more into how cultural organizations and heritage organizations are going to be able to to move forward um into whatever that new normal might be um and how do you see kind of um the trust and foundation's role in that and and the next phase of your work Alison I'm going to stick with you for um okay. this one sure um I think it's I think it's broadly two areas I think uh obviously we've got to look at what's worked in the last four months and think about how that way of working can be translated to the longer term and to recovery so I think when we're looking at our strategy changes now we're very much looking what is what is needed for recovery and stabilization what what do organizations need to be able to keep going through this period so we're looking 
I think we're going to have to continue to be flexible and responsive at the moment. I think that's the key thing and um, not make unreal, not put unrealistic, unrealistic expectations on what our funding is going to support people to achieve at this point. You know, I think mm -hmm. we have to be very, very flexible about that. Um, I think the other thing is that obviously this period has uh, really exposed and highlighted some injustices. And I think we have to think, think about going forward as well, how we support that recovery with that awareness of those injustices that has been kind of brought to the fore. So I think we are going to have to think differently about how we fund as well th with that lens too. It's a really interesting time for you at the foundation because you were, you have been in the middle of creating a new strategy uh, moving forward that was going to underpin your grant giving for the next, for the next, you know, number of years. Um, and so this, uh, this crisis has either come at a really good time because you haven't continued <laughs> that strategy yet and so therefore um, uh, it, it's come at a time that it's going to be able to help inform that strategy moving forward um, even if it does mean that that strategy yeah. will put back a few months. Yeah absolutely yeah and that's definitely what we're thinking now is that our, our long-term aim for that strategy will remain but for the short term we are going to have to we've had to revise them and we're really considering them at the moment. Mm. That's great, brilliant. Is it interesting you, you talk about uh, uh, the word stabilisation and, and the responsive um, flexibility of funders and I think that's something that sort of I thought about a lot as a, as a fundraiser um, is, is how how you go from that emergency response into something that's that's about sustainability that's about stabilization um, a lot of our organizations are not going to be able to create work um, and therefore earn money in the way that they would usually earn it so how how do we um, how do we enable them to get through the next six months, the next 12 months, whatever that looks like, to ensure that they are still able to exist um, uh, to a point that they're, they're able to create again, whatever their timescale is. And obviously that's not just on trust and foundations, but, you know, sort of yeah. with the public sector as well. Um, mm -hmm. but I feel, you know, there's a role for all of us to play in, in that, isn't there? And I think um, stabilization will be kind of a key word moving forward. Uh, yeah, what um, sort of thinking about your kind of next phase? Um, how, how's that looking for you? Uh, well, it's all about um, <coughs> for us. It's about the the recovery and the rebuilding of this of the infrastructure, the voluntary sector infrastructure in our locality. Um, so we've been um, in discussions with the rest of the trusts and foundations who we set up the fund uh, with to look at how we now adapt the fund. So we'll carry on doing the immediate uh, crisis uh, grant funding um, that we, we think that will be needed for quite a while to come. Mm. But um, we recognize that now um, the voluntary or, uh, sector organizations are thinking about their long-term sustainability. So what we're discussing is um, uh, larger grants um, uh, and with uh, uh, an element of um, support in terms of business planning, in terms of uh, fundraising help, in terms of communication help, uh, whatever it is that ne that we need to do to capacity build. Mm -hmm. um, so rather than just looking at you know the project funding which we were doing with the immediate response, uh, we're looking at um, sustainability and supporting the voluntary sector organisations themselves. Mm -hmm. What do they need? How do they stabilise their income? Um, you know, how do they adapt to uh, new new ways of delivery? Um, you know, the, the ones uh, I think there are some existing 
existential um, conversations taking place uh, with organizations about whether or not they can carry on. Um, and those that uh, feel that, you know, they need to perhaps merge or to collaborate or to perhaps in some cases close, um, you know, we want to be there to support them through that process as well, uh, working all of that out. So it's a very different um, different sphere that we're working in. Um, but I think what will continue is collaboration. I've seen a lot of collaboration in the sector uh, with the London Community Response. That again was a, a joint uh, response fund set up in London, which all a lot of funders contributed to. Uh, ACF uh, have set up a, a funders hub where a lot of funders are collaborating on things uh, such as strategy um, and, and different issues. Um, so I think for the, the future, that's, that's something that's going to continue. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm sure um, Alison and Manaka would agree as well. I think, you know, sort of that collaborative working is really important. And um, I think the, um, the example that you just gave of the of the London foundations coming together, and it wasn't just foundations based in London that, that signed up to that pledge. Um, they were, you know, UK wide. Um, and that was that was great. But um, uh, I really like the, the phrase you used at the beginning about recovery and rebuilding and that capacity building and thinking about that, 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 that survival for organisations and what do they need in terms of business development um, to get them to, to that stabilised, um, you know, kind of footing again. That's great. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, and Manaka, how about you? <laughs> Well, it's we, we sit in a very dual uh, role because, um, I mean, like for Alison is saying, one of the things we will be focusing on is to enable artists and practitioners to create and present in whatever form that will be in, you know, what we call the new normal now. Uh, we hope that there will be um, inquiries and explorations um, um, and new ways of engaging with audiences and um that's something that will, I think, for us as a foundation, also push us to reimagine our programs. And like Alison was saying, be flexible about what um, the mandate of our program is and what the outcome uh, that we might expect from a, a particular project is. And what could those new hybrid models be? I mean, it, it, it can be an exciting time. I know it's a time of anxiety, but it could also be an exciting time for experiments, for pushing boundaries, for innovation. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's also a tough ask, I think, a pressure to put on artists to, um, uh, you know, to do that in these times as well. And the reason I started with saying it's a dual um, uh, challenge for us is because um, uh, about 60, we know that we're gonna be funding for the next year. About 60% of our funding of our, of, our, of our funds come from our endowment, the interest from our endowment. The rest, almost 50 to 40%, we need to raise year on year. And given the current crisis, uh, you know, with the very limited uh, funders that were funding arts and culture in India, have all diverted their funds towards COVID relief. And so uh, having those conversations with donors who are going to support us um, is something that's, that is a challenge. We know that a, a, a a lot of funders who are funding us are not going to be funding us this year. So for us, that's a challenge to, you know, find new partners um, to figure out, uh, you know, in, you know, at the, in March, where will we be in terms of our funding and then what would be our program? So to, to be nimble about that in terms of a support, continuing our support, but also being aware of what our own financial uh, stability is, is something that we are working with. Uh, and that's what our, you know, 
immediate future looks like. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's really important because uh, as grantees, we don't often think about the financial stability of the trust or foundation that's supporting us. Um, but I think it's a really important thing to think about is that is that you're you're funded in a certain way and any pandemic, any crisis that hits the financial uh, markets or, or hits financial um uh, individuals financially who may be donors um, is going to have an impact on the amount of income that you're having and therefore the amount of money that you're able to distribute. Um, here in Wales we have um, uh, a trust called the Colwinston Trust whose, whose uh, money comes from um, the profits from Agatha Christie's mousetrap um, and of course there's no performances so they have no income coming in and they're honouring grants that um, that have been already agreed. But uh, apart from that, until um, those performances can start up again, um, they're, they're struggling with, you know, sort of that, that income that they rely on to be able to support um, their beneficiaries. So it, it's a really important point, I think, in terms of um, thinking about where, where we're all at and, and Trust and Foundation's ability to truly, you know, support, um, support the sector. Great, thank you. Um, uh, so, uh, so thinking about time, coming to our last question, which which might be the hardest one to answer, um, in terms of kind of, uh, and again, you know, crystal balls at the ready. Um, what sort of from from your kind of from where you're sitting um, with your foundations and your colleagues, what what do you see are the long term changes, or um, what do you predict to be the long term changes for grant giving to the arts, culture, and heritage? Um, are we going to eventually see a revert back to the old normal, if we're calling it the new normal, the old normal? Or do you think this pandemic and the response that trusts and foundations have made to the pandemic um, will truly influence um, change for good, um, you know, kind of in five, ten years time? And whether kind of it, it will truly impact the way that trusts and foundations are working? Um, Ozia, I'll come to you first. Well, that's my hope. That's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it happens, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've only been in the foundation world for four or five years. Um, and in that time, uh, you know, the pace of change has been very slow up until this crisis. Uh, and as Minaki said, you know, in this opportunity, in this crisis, there is an opportunity as well. Um, and, you know, we've been able to see what funders and foundations can do when pushed, uh, when there's enough motivation, when there's a catalyst uh, to change. I think the, the, the conversation that I'm uh, particularly aware of in relation to um, the change in grant making is um, something that Alison alluded to uh, about inequalities. Um, the, the, the COVID crisis has really revealed deep inequalities. Um, those inequalities were always there. That injustice was always there. Uh, but it's now become a, a, something that uh, foundations are beginning to grapple with. Um, and so even yesterday, I was having conversations with um, a number of national foundations about equity. Um, and a, a through our grant, grant making, how do we address inequality? And how do we ask our grantees to address inequality? Um, so, you know, the Arts Council, um, up with uh, Hussein, who's the diversity lead there, uh, he's, he has a huge amount of focus on, um, on collecting data, 
uh, and on ensuring that the grantees they have understand that they also have a responsibility to reach audiences who are underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with the account uh, that the scrutiny that um, uh, grant makers and funders are now under, that is something that is going to to rise to the top of the agenda and and will have an influence on our grant making programs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I think um, I think there there's other shifts happening as well that are going to influence the way forward, isn't it? Um, and rightly so. Um, and I think this is a real opportunity to to have a real shake-up and actually really be quite proactive in that change. Um, And as Alison alluded to um, at the beginning of the session, actually some of the processes that we've got used to over time are now not necessary. And actually this time has enabled us to analyse what, you know, what we need to move forward and, and, you know, sort of what are what are the priorities for us to be able to help um, those most in need and address issues such as the inequality um, and accessing those people who are absolutely most in need. Um, and and as, again, as Alison uh, said earlier on, she used the word injustices. And I think that's really important because they've really come to the surface um, a lot. And it's, um, as you say, how do you encourage your the organisations that you work with to also address those issues as well? Brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, Alison, sort of what uh, what do you think of that long term? Obviously, I won't hold you to anything, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's, you know, this whole business about what is the new normal going to be. I think there's a there's a huge question mark there. Uh, you know, I suppose you alluded to um, there will be probably well, there are already closures. There will probably be more mergers then probably be more collaborative work definitely, um, as we were talking about earlier. And I think we need to think as funders about how we support that, how we enable those processes in the best way they possibly can. I think there may be some consideration around business models, because obviously we've been in a situation where, particularly uh, in the UK, the business model has been moving towards more and more commercial uh, uh, income. Obviously, they're the people that are really struggling at the moment. So we're going to have to have a look at how that works and how the trust and foundation support fits into that alongside the the very very much larger arts council funding i mean the trust and foundation world is is in terms of the monetary um total that they put in is very small compared to the arts councils um around the uk so you know we have to think about how we work with them and how we fit with what they're doing as well um I think, yes, as we were saying, the work around injustices and equity is something that's definitely going to come to the fore. And I think, you know, I would, I would hope that there are changes that we've seen with things like the Association of Charitable Foundations, uh, pillars for uh, stronger foundation practice will continue to, to be developed and to be adopted. Um, and um, I think the other thing is we're a, we're a multi-sector funder. So things are slightly different for us, but I mean, we really are keen to see those multiple sectors uh, interact more. And that's definitely going to be part of our new strategy is really seeing how arts and culture fits within our considerations around children and young people and social change and the environment. And I think those, you know, all of those areas are going to be probably for us more important coming forward about how the arts fits in with that and how we work jointly and how it could be funded differently if you work that way as well. That's great. Brilliant, Alison. Thank you. Um, and finally, Manaka, um, what does the long term, what does long term look like in India? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know, we've gone into a 
a week lockdown in our city in Bangalore this week. So we are working from home. So it's really hard to say because, you know, uh, uh, the number of cases have been increasing and different areas are going into lockdown. So we really don't know what a year from now is going to look like, right? Uh, I mean, who is saying it could be five years? So it's very hard to imagine what practicing, you know, what artistic practice will look like. But like Fazia and Alison are saying, yes, being flexible, um, trying to reimagine our own programs, relook at ourselves. I think that has been a huge thing, uh, you know, doing away with processes that, um, um, you know, might have slowed down things and, you know, things are moving uh, faster. So, uh, yeah, in terms of challenges uh, or, what, or what the new normal will look like, I think for us, like Fosia is saying, one of the things that we are concerned about, everything has gone online. And while that has enabled us to reach audiences like, you know, here today, for, for, for us in the Indian context, we, knew, we do know that there are people who don't have access to the internet and who don't have access to going online. So how do we reach those constituencies? How do we, um, uh, you know, uh, interact with those constituencies? And looking at that would be of interest to us. Our, our, our grantees looking at that would be of interest to us. Like Fazia saying, how can inclusion be part of our grant making with our grantees is something that we will be um, uh, looking at for sure. Um, yeah, and um, and I think I don't know whether we want to go back to the old way of grant making, maybe a hybrid model where we're taking the best of both worlds. Uh, <laughs> great um because there's there's a lot we've learned as grant makers um we, you know we unlearned things as well so i think um moving forward i think that's what we'd be looking to explore that's brilliant thank you Minaka. that's great and then kind of uh we're going to sort of close the session shortly uh, but i think closing it with the thought of having the best of both worlds might be appropriate and and um, there's been obviously a huge amount of learning um from trust and foundations but also from grantees as well about about the way that we all work and the way that we work individually but also as a sector um and i think we can all look forward to you know sort of a as you as you've all said kind of a flexible more open collaborative collaborative way of working um, that involves you know really listening to each other and building those relationships between our funders and um and our artists and art arts organizations um regardless of what that new normal might look like um but it we know that it's not going to look like the old normal um thank you so much um to my amazing panel to Alison, to Manaka and to Fosia your insights today have been really really interesting um and i hope all our delegates have um got a huge out amount out of listening to you um uh, so thank you ever so much for joining us thank you so much for listening back to the recording of this we hope you'll be able to join us for the live event next time in the meantime if you want to check out all of our events and look at all of the content we have available for instant access then please go to fundraisingeverywhere.com you can use the discount code FEPODCAST for a special treat.